Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Trust and inspiration. Now, you know and I know that they matter a great deal, and everybody is using those words, trust and inspiration. And besides which, who wants to work for a leader who doesn't trust you and who isn't inspiring anyway? So we know this. However, creating a culture of trust and trying to inspire those that work with you is very easy to say and actually not so simple to do. So if you stop to think, what does it mean I need to be doing, or I should say doing differently, then today's episode is for you because that's what we're going to focus on. And in particular, we're going to focus on how do you go from controlling to inspiring. And a heads up, it's both a set of beliefs and a set of practices. So my guest today is Stephen M. R. Covey, the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust, and it's been translated into 22 languages, sold over 2 million copies. His latest book, Trust and Inspire, How Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. Stephen brings the perspective of a practitioner because when he was president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, he grew the company to become one of the largest leadership development firms in the world. He's co-founded and currently leads Franklin Covey's Global Speed of Trust Practice. He's on a bunch of boards, including the Government Leadership Advisory Board, and he's recognized as a Lifetime Achievement Award winner for being a top thought leader and trust from the advocacy group Trust Across America, Trust Around the World. Highly sought after speaker, taught trust and leadership in 55 countries to business, government, military, education, healthcare, and NGOs. As if that's not enough. Stephen, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Wanda. I'm absolutely delighted to be here with you today. Thank you it's so much. Pleasure. It's a pleasure. I always like to start with the question, why? And I want to ask you, why trust and then why inspiration? What got you started on this particular journey? Yeah. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I look around at how our world has changed all around us in so many ways. And you write about this, you know, um, um, leading in the age of deep, deep expertise. You know, everything has changed. There's so much to, to learn and to know, you can't be a know-it-all. You have to be a learn-it-all. The, the, the things you talk about, Wanda. Yeah. Um, so the nature of the world has changed. The nature of the workforce is changing. More, more mm -hmm. uh, diversity than ever before. Uh, more generations at work. Um, the nature of the workplace has changed. Mm -hmm. Work at home, work from anywhere, remote work, hybrid work, intentionally flexible work. The nature of technology and and you know has changed with disruption and the pace of change, the amount of change. And then finally, the, the nature of choice itself has changed. Mm -hmm. So many options and choices that people have. And so while the world has changed all around us, our style of leadership has not, or at least has not kept pace with this changing world. We're still too much operating out of the core base approach that I call command and control is a relic of the industrial age. And here we are in the knowledge age or the age of collaboration. And yet our 
base operation of how we, or style of how we lead tends to still be kind of a relic of the past. It's just that we become better at it, <laughs> more sophisticated, more advanced. I call it enlightened command and control, a kinder, gentler, better, new, improved version of command and control. But that's not going to be sufficient and relevant for this new world of work because people don't want to be managed. People want to be led. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired, as you said at the outset. And to operate with the old style of leadership in this new world of work, that is the equivalent of playing tennis with a golf club. <laughs> and you think about it, you know, the tool you're using, the style of leadership you're employing is not relevant for the game being played. And so I see this, you know, this changing world, and yet we're still leading in the old way, just a more sophisticated, advanced version of the old way. We haven't shifted our paradigm in how we lead. And I think we need to do that if, if we're going to really tap into the enormous potential and creativity and talent and greatness that is inside of our people. We're leaving too much of it on the table still. And in this new world, it's, there's a greater premium than ever before to try to win in the workplace and win in the marketplace. And you can't do that without trust as a, faith, as a foundation. So that's the idea. That's, why, that's the why behind this new work. Okay. I love it. All right. Let me uh, sort of tackle this one head on. So today I'm working with a woman that I have known for quite a while. She has every intention of the world of being a great leader, aspiring to increase a career, go to next steps, and probably quite honestly has a capability of doing it, if I'm really honest. But she's accountable for a revenue target. And she's accountable for a staff that works for her, actually quite large staff that works for her, and that they do the right thing. And the consequences of getting mistake is pretty heavy on that revenue target. And she struggles with not having control, like this notion that things might be, quote, out of control, scares her to no end. So what's your advice to her? Yeah. <clears throat> First of all, I understand. I think... Many of us, if not most, probably feel something akin to that, similar, because it's our job, right? And we've got to do our yeah. job well. We don't want to be out of control or lose control in our job when we're accountable for results. What I would argue is this, is that especially in our world today, with these multiple generations and, and, the, and, and the flexible nature of work, the knowledge worker age, collaboration age, especially in our world, new world today, that there's actually more control in a trust and inspire approach of leadership than there is in a command and control approach to leadership. Okay. Now, look, you might think that's counterintuitive, but the reason that's so is that with command and control, <clears throat> There's only so much you can do. There's only one place you can be. And if you're trying to control and contain everything, um, you can't be everywhere at once. You can't come up with enough rules and policies and practices and, and procedures for people who you can't trust. And in an age of collaboration and knowledge work, how are you going to control everything, including being able to achieve the outcomes, when you, instead you approach this with a standpoint of, 
trust and inspire, which includes building an agreement up front where you involve people in the mm-hmm. problem and the opportunity, including in the need to deliver results and to be accountable to those results. Mm-hmm. And then you empower and you extend trust around expectations and accountability of the results that, that are clear and identified. Then what you'll find is that the agreement you set up, that governs as opposed to you having to hover over and micromanage every, everyone's every move. And they will rise to the occasion perform better, give the trust back to you, and actually deliver on this in a way that you couldn't do if you're trying to hover over and micromanage everything else. So it's actually liberating for you. You still build in control through the agreement. And because you can do this with many this way, as opposed to kind of one-on-one hovering over, it actually enables you to have more control in the long run. And so that's kind of a it's, it's an oxymoron a little bit that, that um, you have, you know, extraordinary control in a command and control approach. I think there's some control, obviously. It's in the name, command and control. Yeah. But I think there's greater control in a high trust culture that inspires. It's like Netflix. You know, Netflix has what they call freedom and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so the freedom represents the trust being extended. That's why they don't have a lot of policies that most organizations have, vacation time, sick time, and and so forth. They give you freedom, but with that freedom comes clear responsibility, clear accountability. There's expectations, there's accountability to those expectations. I would argue that that context, they call it, the, the responsibility, is a form of control that because it's cultural, in the norms of the culture, is a higher form of control than more rules, more regulations, more policies, more procedures. So I think people, we need we, we can flip it on its head yeah. and say there's more control in a trust and inspire culture. Okay. It's almost like um, when people agree to go along, I've got more performance at the end of the day, more delivery, more accountability. As opposed to when I put a bunch of processes and policies in place, everybody's looking at how's the minimum I can get away with and how do I get around the edges and not really do it. We're looking to break the rules too often, at least in the Western world, we're looking to break the rules too often. Absolutely. You, you nailed it. That, that's precisely it. More involvement, there's more commitment mm-hmm. and there's more buy-in mm-hmm. and people tend to give more because they feel like they help create it. When it's dictated through a command and control approach, and micromanage, people do the minimum, but you won't get their greatest creativity and ingenuity. And so, yes, that's exactly it. And we all kind of know this, but knowing the gap between knowing and doing is our challenge. <laughs> yeah, knowing and doing. Well, okay. And I want to go back. I want to make sure we understand what we mean. And I'll come back to this word commitment too. But I want to make sure we understand what we mean by command and control, because everybody has a really nasty view of command and control. And I doubt there's a leader out there who will say, oh, yes, you're right. I'm a command and control. But your argument is an awful lot of us are doing it. We're just doing it in an enlightened way. So tell me what the hallmarks are of command and control from your point of view, even the enlightened version. Yeah, even the enlightened version. So it's, it's, it's a fundamental mindset of how I view people and leadership. So command and control, even the enlightened version of it, the idea is that I manage people and things 
Trust and Inspire, by contrast, is this idea. I manage things. I lead people. So the danger comes when we start to manage people as if they were things. Yeah. And, and, you know, and try to be efficient with people like we would with things. What happens, you try to manage people like things, you'll end up with no people <laughs> and lots <laughs> of things because they'll, they'll go elsewhere. Command and control is about compliance, you know, following the rules. Trust and inspire elicits commitment, doing the right thing. It includes compliance, but it's so much more. Command and control, you'll get, you'll like, you can achieve coordination among groups or silos. So that's of some value, but trust and inspire, you can achieve far greater true collaboration mm-hmm. among flexible, interconnected teams. Command and control is good for status quo incremental improvement. Trust and inspire is, is really valuable for change and innovation because of the fact that um, you, don't, you can't innovate unless people are willing to take a risk and fail. And you can't do that without trust. Command and control is more of a mechanistic, machinist approach. I'm a, you know, I'm a machinist. I'm tinkering with things. Trust and inspire is an organic approach. I'm a gardener. My job is to create conditions for the seed to flourish. The seed is the person and the power is in the seed. The life is in the seed. I create conditions for the seed to flourish. Command and control is about motivation. It's extrinsic. It's external, carrot and stick. Does that work? Sure. It motivates people to want to get more rewards. But trust and inspire is about inspiration. It's intrinsic. It's inside of people. Inspire means to breathe life into it. Breathe life into that, which maybe before was without life. And, and, and uh, that ignites the fire within. And, you know, and then finally, command and control, by definition, is about controlling or at least containing people. Trust and inspire is about releasing and unleashing people's capabilities talents, abilities, their greatness inside of them. So I think it's just, we see it best by contrast. And, and, um, and we recognize that, that even the enlightened version of command and control is still too much looking at people as some having potential, some not as much. We see it in our structures. You know, we have our high potentials and our low potentials. We, we yeah. label it, we name it. And also where we see people more in terms of economic beings as opposed to them being a whole person body, heart, mind, spirit. So we try to motivate instead of inspire. And we see leadership more limited through the lens of scarcity versus the lens of abundance and, and so forth. And the point is that we start to manage people too much like we would things. We try to be efficient with people too much like we would with things. You manage things, you lead people. Efficient with things, effective with people. That contrast is what's vital today. And it's very easy for all of us to fall trapped. I think command and control is like your native tongue and trust and inspire is like an acquired tongue. And so if you hammer your, you know, you're hammering and you hit your thumb on the, instead of the nail, you're going to cuss out in your native tongue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's what you know, and we're all kind of scripted and kind of trained and, and we come out of a command and control world, even when, even though we've become a lot better at it, yeah. more sophisticated, it's, it's our native tongue too often. I like, uh, yeah, I, it does. Cause I agree. Most people would say, and I even feel like, okay, so we know better than to do command and control, but when you put it in a slide and you just think how many things we do day in and day out with the best of intention as a leader, with the intention of, you know, enlightening and releasing trust and all that jazz. But if you say we focus more on who has potential and who doesn't, Mm 
I mean, that chalks up about 99% of the organizations in the world. I think about how to be efficient with my meetings with people. I think about how to manage the output that people produce, the results that people produce, which is about managing people. I think about what I'm getting out of each person, what their contribution or quote value is to me. I think about there's a scarcity of a pool of money or a scarcity of a rating that I'm going to give off to other people. Those are all the language of command and control, even if it's a nice version of it. Even if it's a nice version. Absolutely. It's deep in our language. It's deep in our systems. You know, how we rank people, you gave some examples there. It's, those are systems or reward systems and, and progression and career advancement systems. It's deep in our structures, hierarchical generally. Mm-hmm. It's deep in our processes. It's, it's, it's so, we're so immersed. We're like fish that discover water last. We're kind of immersed in this command and control world that we've, we've made, you know, made it kinder and gentler. And we've added things like emotional intelligence and strengths and, and a mission and a lot of positive things, even trustworthiness to it. But we're still deeply kind of rooted in this command and control world. And, and, we, and we're sometimes not even aware of it. Right. And, and it's just right in our language, you know, span of control. Mm-hmm. Instead of the idea of a span of care, as Bob Chapman calls it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, um, you know, the hierarchies and, and, and all the different language, it's just, it's just rooted in, in uh, how we do things in, right. in our compensation and everything else. And so, so, yes, I think that our intent is good, but our style often gets in the way of our intent, especially under stress and under pressure. Right. Well, you know, we talk about, you talk about, we've added um, a sense of purpose and meaning. We've added um, caring for the whole human being. That's my, been my buzzword for the last year. Um, we've added emotional intelligence. We're talking about that right, left, and center. And now we're adding to on top of that psychological safety. But in all of it, we still, I get it. We still have this mantra of my job is the leader is to control the outcome, the output as opposed to inspire. I, you, you, you're right on target with this. That's the big idea is that it's, the, it's at a paradigm level. It's a, I call it a meta style. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not the sub styles, you know, because people can have different approaches and that's okay. Someone can be more detail oriented than another, you know, and, but what's your meta style? Yeah. Are you trying to control or are you trying to unleash? You're trying to motivate. You're trying to inspire. Are you trying to move through, through, uh, you know, others through rewards? Or are you trying to truly elicit, inspire, elicit commitment, inspire others so that they, 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 it's inside of them. And that's what's burning in, inside. And they move because they want to have meaning and purpose and contribution and matter. So, um, yes, that's, it's, it's at the macro level. Because if you kind of do these other things, but your paradigm is still that mm-hmm. people are things like other things, you know, even the expression, the, the wonderful expression, people are our most important assets yeah. is a good expression, but it has a weakness built into it. Assets are things mm-hmm. and things to be managed and the like is the, is, the, is the paradigm that flows from that. And again, you manage things, you lead people, you know, and our, but look at it, look how it's so embedded in our systems. Our, look at our accounting systems, 
our counting system says that this pen I'm holding up, for those that can't see it, this pen is an asset. Yeah. And yet me and you, we are expenses. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about, you know, I call, I I call, um, um, command and control, modern day bloodletting. <laughs> we're still operating out of a, even though the paradigm has been proven that this doesn't work, we still are so deeply scripted and immersed in it that we're doing modern day bloodletting and it's right in our accounting language and, and, right. and assumptions. Right. That's right. That's interesting that people are important assets. You're right. That tells you everything you need to say, because I believe that it can, the people can be counted. They can be tallied up in one column or another column. Their output can be reduced and counted. I mean, we're managing them like things. There is nothing in that that says I'm about trusting and inspiring. Right. And I'm not against the sentiment. I'm just saying that speaks to the language. And Mm -hmm. that language tends to then, you you manage assets. Yeah. So if people are assets, I manage people. No, you lead people. Yeah. Yeah. That contrast is huge. It is. All right. And, you know, the, the notion, if you take this notion of it, people are an asset, then I want to get more performance out of that asset. I want to get a little right. more out of it. So what do I do to get a little more out of you? And I think that what people are seeing today is I've had enough. I've had enough of being managed in that way. I've had enough of being pushed to do more and more and more and more. I had enough of a dangle of reward in front of me and I think people are craving this inspiration. Now, that's my view. What do you see? Do you think this has gotten worse in the last couple of years, or are we always on this journey? I think it's gotten worse. I do think that we've been on this journey for a while, mm-hmm. but I think that coming out of this pandemic and all that we've been through, that it's never become more acute than it is now, more evident. And also partly because people now have more choices and options than before. So they can say, I've had enough. I'm not going to take this. And I'm going to choose to go somewhere else where I feel trusted, where I feel inspired. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe they have more options today than they did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and because of, of what's happened in this new world of work. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. So it's easier to say, I've had enough and mean it. And I'm not going to take this anymore. And, 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 um, and there's a better way to lead. And, and, I, and, and I know I can find that. I'm seeking that. But I would just say, have as listeners, just let's think on our own experience. Um, you know, you know, what, what when you feel someone is managing you, or controlling you, or at least containing you, trying to motivate you instead of inspire, that's one thing. But what you know, compare that now to when you feel like you've worked with someone, mm-hmm. a leader, a boss, even a, a, a colleague, a peer. Or someone in your life, a family member, a coach, who believed in you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who, who, who saw your potential, who maybe believed in you more than you believed in yourself, who trusted you, who gave you chances and opportunities, who inspired you and, and helped instill that belief that they had in you for you to have in yourself. Now, as you think about a person like that, I think about my father. I think about, um, I'm also my mother. I think about my first boss, John Walsh, and what that did for me and how I responded to that. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I wanted to prove the trust justified. I wanted to 
perform better. No one needed to manage me or even motivate me. I was inspired. I felt like there was life breathed into me. And I wanted to, you know, prove that justified. And so just that contrast of what it feels like, you know, you're bringing up the point. We've had enough. What it feels like when someone commands and controls you compared to what it feels like when someone trusts and inspires inspires you. you. It's night and day. And we all know, we've all seen some, yeah. some version of it. Yeah. I, I think everybody listening can identify a person who has given them that level of trust and trust in themselves. It's not so much that I trust you as it is, come on, you can do more than you think you can. You've got the capability and I believe in you, that kind of inspiration. I think most people can identify with that. Not all, most people can identify with it. But yet we have such a hard time reciprocating that. We do. And it comes back to what you stated at the outset. We're afraid to lose, of losing control. It's, <laughs> it's, we under, I understand that because we all want to deliver. Yeah. And, and, um, but we just literally have to flip that paradigm that if we do this right with involvement so that we achieve commitment, we can actually create more control. We get right. better results, better outcomes. But the moment we dictate methods to people because we want to be in control, now we are responsible for their mm-hmm. results, not, not them. And they don't grow, they don't develop. Right. And suddenly we're limited in how much we can command and control our way to success because we're not unleashing the capabilities and the talents that are inside of people because we're trying to contain and, and control it. Right. And just, just not nearly as good approach as what is needed today, this trust and inspire in right. contrast to command and control. Stephen, you've just explained something to me that I now know how to explain to clients, and I should have gotten it before. I should have been smarter, but I haven't been, and you've just gotten it for me. You know, so we're talking about um, remote working, and all companies are trying to decide, are we going to come back to the office? Are we come back to the office four days, three days, two days? What are we going to say? And every company I know that has said, we're going to come back X days, I don't care what X number you put in, one, two, three, five has their teams in uproar. Absolutely. So it's not the number. Mm-hmm. And what people are starting to say is it's not the number, it's the fact that you told me. Like you trusted me for the last two years to figure out what I needed to do, where I needed to do it, how I needed to do it. Why are you telling me now I have to come into the office? And it's just a tiny little example of one more thing we're trying to control the ways in which people return to the office and people don't want to be controlled. They want to be trusted. And I think most people will actually come back if you stop dictating how many days you need to be in the office. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's, that's precisely it. That, that why is there this aversion? Because we're seeing it where CEOs say, come okay. back. And it might be like a reasonable hybrid combination, <laughs> but what people, and then only half the people show up <laughs> that's right. because they don't want to be controlled when they've been trusted, they want to be involved in this mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And I, by contrast, mm-hmm. I will say this, I can't say who it is yet, but I, I worked with a consumer products company just recently. They're, they're trying to figure this out. And they had two attempts to bring people back where they kind of announced it. Nothing happened. And then the president took a different approach where he just called a town hall. And he said, I'm just coming here to listen and to talk and to, and to declare my intent. Do mm-hmm. not tell you what, but I'm just going to give you why and listen to you and hear your why. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And he went through this process of just being open, being transparent. He was vulnerable, declared intent. You know, I want, we want to do two things. We want to do our best work individually and collectively as a team, but we also want this to work for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know the solution yet. Let's create it together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Involve people in the problem, work on the solution together. That's, that's involvement. That's respecting people as whole people. Well, you know what? The, the final you know, version hasn't been written out yet because it's happening in real time, but the response was overwhelming with, I think we can come up with something that will work. And like you said, it doesn't matter what number they would have put out before. <laughs> it could be the same number they come up with or even a yeah. higher number. And the <laughs> fact that they involve people in the process, which shows I trust you and I'm trying to tap into the inspiration that's inside of all of us instead of dictating and controlling it, that is going to achieve a better outcome, even if it's the same precise formula of what they end up with. How they arrive at it will make the the difference. difference. All right. We talked about something similar on this show a few weeks ago where a company is doing the exact same thing, had announced it didn't work very well, and they turned it over to a group of team members and said, all right, so here's your representatives. You lobby them. They'll report to the leadership team, and they'll tell us what it is they think they need it. And again, you get so much more positive responses from that. Not that the policy changed one bit, actually, (laughs) quite honestly, but people feel better about it. And that's the whole point, isn't it, Stephen? It is the whole point. And that's why Trust and Inspire is part of the solution to the future of work, because it's less the exact structure and more the underlying paradigm of how we view our people. Are they assets to be controlled or are they people to be unleashed and talents and abilities and ingenuity and creativity to be developed and unleashed for the service of our clients and for the service of our, of our purpose, what we're all about. It's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's at the mindset level, the paradigm level first. And you know, I've, I've seen during the pandemic, people working from home, but still feeling like they're being micromanaged from oh, a yeah. distance. Oh yeah. Is, you know, there's no choice or option, but I still don't feel trusted. And I've seen sometimes people putting in place surveillance software Mm-hmm. Make sure that their people are working. And boy, does that scream distrust to your people? And they'll do the minimum and they'll also figure out how to get around it. Yeah. Whereas I've seen at the same time other people working from home, working remotely, hybrids, where because they feel trusted and because they feel inspired by their leaders and their team, um, they're doing their best work and they're reciprocating that trust. And, and they can shift the format. They can shift the model as times change and there might be context that allows it. But if they remain feeling trusted and inspired instead of commanded and controlled, you're going to get those different kind of outcomes. Right. So that's why I'm saying the meta style, which flows from your fundamental paradigm and how you view people, how you view leadership. Great. Great. All right, Stephen, one last comment. Then we're going to take a break. Okay. This reminds me of pre-pandemic times in my work with women, particularly women who are mothers who will say, look, I just need space to go home and have time with the family, with the kids and feel connected, all that jazz. Don't harass me about being at a meeting plate. Let me go home. Let me have that moment. And then you will get 125% of my attention later in the evening. And I swear that those people produce more at the end of the day than the people who say, no, no, you have to be here at this meeting at this particular time or log on or do whatever. 
And again, it's that same trust people to do what they need to do, how they need to do it. The loyalty, the commitment that comes out of it is incredible. Another example, as if we need it anymore. All right, Stephen, this is it's a, perf- it's a perfect place for a break. My guest today is Stephen M. R. Covey. The book that we are talking about is Trust and Inspire, How Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. And I love this notion that it's enlightened command and control that is so deeply baked into our psyche about what it means to lead, to manage people as assets, um, and a whole host of other things that we've already talked about. When we come back from the break, I want to talk about how, Stephen, what is it we do to switch to this new model of Trust and Inspire? We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Stephen M. R. Covey. He's the author of the New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling book, The Speed of Trust, sold over 2 million copies. I only wish to be that successful. But we're talking about his second book, Trust and Inspire, How Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. Now, the basic mindset is everybody would believe that they're not a command and control leader, but we fail to stop and recognize the ways in which control in particular is so steeped in our understanding of what it is we do when we are leading and managing, I would might add. So notions like I identify talent, some of whom has potential or don't. I rank people. Some are better than others. I treat people as assets. People are our best assets. 
that there's a scarcity. I'm only going to have some rewards, carrot and stick approach. I'm trying to be efficient in my um, management of people. All those are vestiges of a command and control world that treats people like things, as opposed to the polar opposite, which is treating people with trust and inspiration. And I think, I think Stephen agrees with me on this one, is that we are seeing a tsunami tide at the moment of people saying, I'm not putting up with it anymore. I have been distrusted, managed to produce too much for too long. And what I want is to be trusted, to have a voice, and to be inspired. And I think as a result, people are voting with their feet because right now they have a choice. So the question, Stephen, is we get the mindset, now help us how. What is it we need to be doing in order to shift to this trust and inspire world? So where do we start? Yes. And you mentioned it. We start with the mindset because until the paradigm shifts, the style won't truly follow. You know, you can't, you can't have, you can't operate outside of your paradigm with integrity. And so we've got to make sure the paradigm is complete and whole and, and relevant. And so, so let me just mention the the paradigm first, and then I'll move into the actions that flow from that paradigm. So these are fundamental beliefs of how I see people, how I see leadership. And it's somewhat in response to what you just summarized, that this is the more complete belief as, as is expressed. So I believe that people have greatness inside of them. So if I buy that belief, then my job as a leader is to unleash their potential, not to contain or control them. And that's seeing everyone that way, not just a few mm-hmm. or some. I believe that people are whole people, body, heart, mind, spirit not just economic beings. So my job as a leader is to inspire, not merely motivate. I believe that there's enough for everyone, an abundance mentality. So if that's the case, my job as a leader is to elevate caring above competing. Yeah, we can compete on the outside, but inside is focused on caring, so much more powerful. I believe that leadership is stewardships, is stewardship. It's, it's responsibilities, not rights. It's influence, not position. So my job as a leader is to put service above self-interest. And I believe that enduring influence is created from the inside out. So my job as a leader is to go first. Those are some of the fundamental beliefs of a trust and inspire leader of how they view people as whole people with greatness and how they view leadership as enough for everyone. It's a stewardship and, and, and you model it from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And when you start with those beliefs, that's more complete. It's more whole. It's a more accurate map of the territory. You know, the map is not the territory. And you could have a bad map. And, and too often, the enlightened command and control is an inaccurate map. It's a partial map, but it's not complete. This is a more complete map of the territory. The territory mean people, who people really are, and leadership, what leadership really is. So if I start with that, then from that flow, what I call the stewardships, inspire leader. And by stewardships, it's, you know, it's, it's the job. Stewardship means a job trust. So these are the jobs with a trust that come with being a leader. As you put it, that we put into practice to lead in this way. And I'll just briefly just summarize it. There's three. You, first, you model. Second, you trust. And third, you inspire. Mod trusting, inspiring. Modeling is who we are. Trusting is how we lead. Inspiring 
is connecting to why, to why it matters. It's that simple and yet that difficult because each of those stewardships has its own element built right inside of it. But it's that simple. We, we model, we trust, and we inspire. I didn't call the, the, the book Model, Trust, and Inspire because I wanted to do it in, in contrast to command and control, trust and inspire. But three stewardships, model, trust, inspire. That's the idea. That's, that's the overview. And then maybe we can, you know. And dig into that one a little bit. Yeah. All right. I'd like you, I think until we stop and pause and think about the paradigm we have in our head, that it's very difficult to shift your leadership from anything to anything better, regardless what dimension is you're working on. So I just want to go back to your statements and just sort of summarize them a little bit of my own words and some of your words so that all people, every single human being working in the organization has greatness inside of them, not your A-list, not your high potentials, not your favorites, not your leadership team. Everyone has greatness inside of them and the job is then to unleash it. That we have to treat people as whole human beings. You say spirit, mind, and body. Um, I say a whole human being with interest in of work and outside of work. Um, and that means it's not about motivating. It's about inspiring. That I believe that of an abundance, there is enough for everyone. I suspect that will stumble some. Um, so that means that inside we are caring as opposed to competing. And that it's stewardship, which is how I'm going to provide service over myself. And that I want to influence from the inside out, which means I start first. Okay. Beautiful. All right. Model, trust, inspire. Okay. So can you give me an example of what this looks like? Yeah. Let's take modeling first. Um, so modeling is referring to, as a leader, it refers to our credibility, mm-hmm. our moral authority, if you will, not just position, but who we are, our character, our competence. And, and uh, we're all modeling. We're all, whether we know it or not, whether we want to or not. The question is, what are we modeling? I'll never forget, Wanda, one time I was at a basketball game with uh, my young son. He was maybe four at the time. And I got in, you know, I was getting into the game. My team was getting some, you know, not the benefit of the doubt from the referees, some bad calls. And I remember one time standing up and just kind of yelling out at the ref and pointing my finger rating the ref and only to look down and see my four-year-old son standing up in the exact same posture as me, (laughs) pointing his finger, yelling the same words I was at the referee. Let me just put, let me just say this. It wasn't my best modeling moment, (laughs) but I I just realized that we're all modeling. (laughs) The question is, what are we modeling? Are we modeling the behavior that we want to see exhibited and manifest in the culture? Are we modeling the values? Um, are we modeling by going first, being the first to demonstrate respect, being the first to create transparency, being the first to truly listen and understand, being the first to clarify expectations? How about being the first to extend trust? Somebody needs mm-hmm. to go first. Leaders go first. Mm-hmm. So they model the behavior. And in particular, the need to model humility and courage. That paradoxical combination, as Jim Collins calls it is so important today. The need to model authenticity and vulnerability, which because people want real 
And a leader who's authentic is real. And when they're vulnerable, they let people see into them how real they are. I love the word intimacy. Into me, see. Yeah. Let people see into me. And then I, and they see I'm a real human being working, trying to become better. And it takes great strength to be vulnerable. And it's, it's a sign that, as Brene Brown says, courage is our greatest form of, excuse me, vulnerability is our greatest form of courage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also we, 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 we model empathy and performance, a paradoxical combination again. Mm-hmm. The empathy helps us understand people where they're at, their context, their situation, so that we can help them perform and succeed in their context. And, and so there's a lot of things to model. You know? So I, that's why my summary is you, know, you model the behavior, you model the values, but in particular, the need for leaders today to model humility and courage, authenticity and vulnerability, empathy and performance has never been greater. I think of on this vulnerability, uh, Brad Smith was just retired as CEO of Intuit. Yeah. And um, he did a 360, you know, a feedback, yeah. got the results. And he took his 360 report and he put it outside his office and taped it on the walls for everyone to see. And, and, and it wasn't necessarily stellar. He wasn't doing it to brag. He was doing it to say, here's who I am and here's my plan. You can see what I'm working on. I've got to get better. Help me. Yeah. And rather than people viewing that as uh, that's weak, it's, boy, he's a real leader. I, I want to follow him. Yeah. You know, you, this, this is the kind of, of leadership, this, this uh, courage so needed today. So that's modeling. That's making modeling come to life. Okay. So humility and courage. You know, let me pause this, Stephen. I'm a believer that great leadership is about mastering paradoxes. Mm-hmm. And it's about balancing those paradoxes. And it's not one or the other. It's the combination of the two in the right balance. And you said it here, humility and courage. One without the other is not effective. Authenticity and vulnerability, because one drives the other, I think. And empathy and performance. Now, I also happen to believe that we get empathy wrong. And I know you agree with me on this one because you describe it very nicely in the book. But I think we think of empathy as put myself in the other person's shoes and I think when I put myself in the other person's shoes, I don't actually know how you're feeling. I know how I would feel in your place, but I don't stop to understand how you're feeling. And you have a strong view about that, that it's about understanding where the other person is coming from, what they're thinking and feeling, and using that to help drive their improved performance. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is so needed in our world today. People need to be heard and feel heard, feel understood. The test of understanding is not when you tell the person, hey, I understand you. No, it's when they tell you, I feel understood. Thank you for listening so completely and wholly. It's not agreeing. It's not disagreeing. It's not judging. It's not evaluating. It's not interpreting. It's just understanding. And, and, um, and where they feel understood. It's powerful. It's like what oxygen is to the body, understanding is to the, to the, to the whole person, you know, yeah. to, to the heart. Yeah. It's, it's like psychological air, emotional air. And until people have that air, they're fighting for the air. They want to feel hurt. 
So it's so powerful. And but but the irony is that by achieving an understanding, you can actually help people perform better. So again, you would a, a good leadership model has to have results in it. Yeah. Because we have to perform. That's always got to be part of it. And so I'm using empathy in two ways. One is that it's it's um valuable in and of itself because people are human beings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this treats people like a whole person mm -hmm. and not just as a asset, a thing to be managed and, and, you know, and optimized as, you know, for the benefit of the company, but no, they're a whole person. So they're a human being with innate worth and potential in and of themselves. That's one. And the most important one. But the second one is you, you do this. Well, you, you, you have empathy. You can actually help them perform better for their sake and for the sake of you and the whole company. Right. And, and so you can get better results and you can help them get better results through empathy. Right. Really powerful combination. It reminds me of a story I probably have told several times on this show, but I'm going to do it again real quickly. Um, I was running a program on how to do feedback, you know, how to give candid feedback in a way that people could hear it and understand it. And I had a guy who was going off to do a performance appraisal for somebody who worked for him who was older than him and whom he felt was resisting his authority. And they were getting ready to fire the guy and say, you know, sorry, you don't have what it takes. And, you know, I'll, at any rate. And he was convinced this was all because he was avoiding him. All right. At the end of the day, I challenge to think about that. Are you sure that it's avoidance? Are you sure it's not something else? Where do you think this guy might be coming from? What might he be afraid of? And it turns out the guy was afraid of failing. Mm. He was afraid he couldn't learn to do things in a new way. Mm. And he didn't yet. And that was the whole source. And if you take that point of view from empathy of understanding where he's coming from, suddenly the avenues for improving his performance are dramatic as opposed to firing him. Beautiful. There's a great yep. illustration. Exactly that. Yeah. You know, it looks like there's a performance issue, but in fact, when you, with through empathy, you learn what's getting in the way of that okay. performance. Now, knowing that I can create conditions for that person to learn that it's okay to fail as long as I'm learning from it and getting better and improving right. and set them up to succeed and to perform. Beautiful. Okay. All right, Stephen, I've not given you nearly enough time, so <laughs> I'm going to make you skip past the trust and tell me what is it that really creates inspiration? Yes. Okay. Here's the thing. You do the first two stewardships, you're going to be inspiring people. When you model, that inspires. You see a model. When you trust other people, that inspires. I would say this, to be trusted is the most mm -hmm. inspiring form of human motivation. It tends to bring out the very best in all of us. And all I would say about trusting is this, is that you could have two trustworthy people working together. And yet no trust, no trust between them, even though they're both trustworthy, if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. So we've got to be trusting as well as trustworthy to create trust. Yeah. But when you trust others, that inspires them. So you're already halfway there when you model right. and you trust. When you then add to this, connecting with people through caring at the relationship level and through belonging at the level. When you connect with people through caring and belonging, that inspires people. And then when you connect people to purpose, to meaning, and to contribution, 
that inspires people. I was with the Pepperdine University in their business school, the Graziato School of Business. And here's their model for their school. Mm-hmm. Not about leaders, creating leaders that are best in the world, but rather leaders that, who are best for the world. Mm. It's a big paradigm shift. And, but does that inspire? Imagine you're a professor there. Imagine you're a staff member there or a student there, and you're all about creating leaders who are best for the world. That's, that's connecting people to purpose, to meaning and contribution. That inspires. And my whole point is everyone can inspire. It's a learnable skill. We've too often conflated inspiring with charisma and is, yeah. they're not connected. They, they, they could overlap, you know, but I know a lot of people who are charismatic, but who are not inspiring. not inspiring. And I know other people who no one would describe as charismatic, but who are remarkably, remarkably inspiring, inspiring because they care and they connect to purpose. And so my whole point is inspiring others is a learnable skill. Everyone can inspire. And it's what we need today. It's where, to use the Wayne Gretzky metaphor, it's where the puck is going. He <laughs> says, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it's been. It's going towards inspirational leadership. Inspiration is the next frontier of engagement. It's another level of engagement. Inspiration, inspired people. And we all can inspire. And that's what people want. The study from Zanger Folkman showed leaders who inspire others is the number one desire that people have in their leader to be inspired, and yet they're not getting it. So it starts with the paradigm that everyone can inspire. You inspire when you model, you inspire when you trust, and you inspire when you connect with people and and connect people to purpose, to meaning, and to contribution. It's learnable. That's a big idea. Absolutely learnable. I think a lot of people think, oh, geez, I can't have a grand purpose like Pepperdine where I'm going to say we're creating the world leaders that are best for the world. And my big purpose statement in my company doesn't really sort of, you know, get me excited. Right. Okay. I still think you can find a sense of, re- of meaning of why are we doing, who are we trying to serve? How are we trying to serve them? Why is the work that we're doing meaningful or honorable work or worthwhile work? And I think that can be done at a small level. It doesn't have to be done at a global level. Do you have a point of view on that one? I do. I agree with you. And I think you're exactly right that, yes, there's some organizations, you know, you're curing cancer that, you know, you're already, you know, on third base, if you will, right. at that. But, but, but even then, sometimes with these great organizations doing great things, there's often still a disconnect because right. people get bogged down in the thick of thin things or they get into command and control systems and structure that sap the joy and the life rather than breathing life into it, sucks the life out of. That's yeah. what command and control does. And so- so having a great mission naturally is an advantage. But I think if you're creative, if you look for the opportunities, I think you can create and embed purpose, meaning, and contribution to some degree in almost any role in almost any organization. I'm not going to be absolute on it, but I'm going to believe, I believe you can in most situations to a large degree where you can overlap the organizational purpose with individual purpose, a co-purposing approach. And even if your purpose as an organization includes that we're going to develop our people, like Johnson, Johnsonville Sausage, it's, they feel it's all about you know, the unleashing right. and developing the people as part of who they are and what they're about, as well as doing good for society right. in different ways. So I believe it's possible. You might have to be more creative about it and more intentional about it 
But yep. that's important to do. It's worth it because the payoff can be no- enormous. People, enormous. what matters to people is mattering. Yeah. It's significant. Okay. That's incredible. Stephen, we can keep going about this one for ages. My guest today, Stephen M. R. Covey, the book is Trust and Inspire. And as you just heard, I think that takeaway from today, front and center, is our mental model about what it means to lead is still buried in an old controlling model. It's time to change that paradigm and think about what it means to trust people, to give trusting first, and then inspiration, which is connecting with people, caring about people, and a whole host of other things. Stephen, thank you for being guest today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Juan. It's been a delight for me to be with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.